0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle United to 3, Burnley 1 on Saturday night at St. James's Park. It's lovely to win a game. It's lovely to talk about football. Three points in the bargain you've got Alex Hurst, Chris Shipman, Norman Riley, and Charlotte Robson to talk it all through with you on this true faith podcast, and we're gonna go jump straight in and I'm gonna talk about a little bit of positivity myself. I thought the performance was was good um i did I thought Burnley were bad, just like West Ham were a few weeks ago, but you can only beat what's in front of you and after a pretty torrid week for the manager and the fan base because we're the ones who have to watch this stuff. Uh, It was a really good end. We have two weeks ahead of us before the Man United game. Man United, in my opinion, eminently beatable, and I really hope this is the start of something better. It has to be said, and I said it myself on the pre-season preview podcast that we did with Craig Hope, that Bruce needed to start the season well, needed to get off to a good start with the kind fixtures that were afforded to him before this Manchester United game. We've got seven points, just the one shocking defeat that we had seven points from these four games and at the time of speaking to you all we sit six in the lead league it likely it's likely we'll drop as the day goes on because other teams are playing but we're still solidly in a part of the the league table i think a lot of fans are quite hopeful we'll remain this season in that top 10 with the players we've got and uh and it was a great win and i suppose norman you can't talk about newcastle united winning football matches these days without talking about alan san Maximan. Um, just how important was Heat last night's win for you, mate?
2: He was the the difference between the two sides in the sense that he was head and shoulders above anyone else on the pitch in terms of his his ability to create, to put fear into opposing players, and to just cause absolute havoc every time he gets the ball. And that's what he did. the um, The first goal, you could argue that Burnley were kind of holding off, putting a challenge in on him that they ought to have done. But at the same time, I think he's the type of player that he draws that many fouls. Those Burnley players were almost fearful of going in him because it, it's almost a case of, well, we're going hard on him now. We're going to get a yellow card within the first 15 minutes. And, you know, that's going to make it even more difficult for us to kind of keep going in hard on him. And, and that's what Burnley like to do. Um, they like to kind of ruffle feathers. But Alan Maximan, as I say, that it's almost like they held off because, precisely because they were so scared of, of the fact that it could be a, a very early sort of red card situation. But obviously, by standing off and by not kind of committing to their usual game, Maximan just completely exploited it, and his accuracy with his shooting is it's it's excellent. I think if you look at Sam Maximan shots over his time at Newcastle, he, he really is good at testing the keeper or or putting the ball in the net or you know just putting it wide he's not he's not really one of those players who launches shots and hits them sort of right over the bar really wide he's very accurate so if you let him the space and you let him pop a shot off the likelihood is something's going to come of it and obviously that's what we saw last night. And they just they couldn't cope with them. Now Burnley, as we know their game is about getting crosses into the box. And I think they were so preoccupied with San Maximan it nullified them in a massive way. And you know, you look at even the second goal where he'd switch flanks. I think you know credit to Bruce. At this point, you had Burnley who had been on the front foot at the start of the second half. They went on and equalised. They were causing problems. Maximan obviously isn't the kind of player who's going to give you much defensive cover when you're under the cosh. So Bruce switched him. We broke. He absolutely sent tail out of the shops. And if you think this was maybe this time last season, Maximan whips a ball in the box. There's no one there. Space. Or oh, Maximan after a while, realises that by whipping the ball in the box, there's going to be no one there. So you might as well just keep driving with it and see what comes off. Yesterday, he knew that way you've got a centre forward who can read play and who can get himself in the mix in Callum Wilson. And he put that ball across and it was just, I mean, it was absolutely perfect. The ball, that kind of ball across the six-yard box whipped in is, is so beautiful. It is absolute bread and butter for strikers. And now we've got a bread and butter striker in Callum Wilson. And I um, just just brilliant. ASM was excellent last season on occasion. But he can be even better this season precisely because he's got an actual target man centre forward up front. So just, yeah, brilliant to see. And um, my favourite part of, of the whole ESM performance yesterday was Sean Dacia's comments after the match. Um, he was asked about him and he said, "Alan will answer Maximan. He was a handful. Well done him. I'm really pleased for him. I think there was a <laughs> bit of sarcasm in there.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: I thought he was really good as well. I would echo exactly what Norman said. I think the, the thing that we saw from him in that game and I think consistency is still something that he probably needs to... You know, just now down a little bit, but when we bought him, there were question marks from you know other clubs that were linked with him, and the reason that supposedly they didn't go with him was his his lack of end product. But you know, games like that just demonstrate that you know he has talent in abundance and can take it round people, but also he does have end product to score himself and of course to assist. Um, yeah, so it was a it was a fantastic performance. I would agree.
2: I'm going to quickly come in on the inconsistency element of of, of Al Ansar Maximin's game. This is the I guess this is the the general consensus. He needs that consistency to his game. I would counter that slightly and say, well, let's look at him last season. How often was how often could you actually see? Well, he was inconsistent, and also you have to factor in the fact you know the, the the reality that he didn't have a centre forward last season, so he. He might have a poor game, but actually a lot of it might have been to do with the fact that he's he's making these runs, he's taking on people, he's perhaps putting the ball in the box or he's holding on to it with too long precisely because there isn't anyone in the box to do anything if he does try and put a cross in. So in terms of his levels of consistency, I think that will come naturally just merely based on the
4: fact that he's got a
2: he's got a centre forward up top to um, you know, to to use to use.
4: I think the only time I've ever sorry, I've just butted in. I think the only time I've ever like I I don't think I've ever questioned his consistency. I think sometimes so much is um is put on ASM's shoulders that he gets tired, but I think he's is consistently quite good. <laughs> so I don't know I I I didn't realize that that was a criticism being leveled at him.
1: I think I think the fact that he is starting more consistently and, and did also after project restart after lockdown adding goals and assists is a big deal. Um you look at him yesterday and, and you know, I think there were accusations put his way, particularly on social media, after the Brighton game, that he'd phoned it in a little bit. There were accusations, you know, he, he didn't play against Spurs last week and didn't have a shot. So there is, there is clearly, uh, you know, there was issues about consistency. There was issues about end product in particular. Some fans, particularly at the start of last season when he was new at the team, suggesting that he was kind of great up until... Where it mattered, the penalty box. But he's well and truly put that to bed. And that goal that he scored yesterday, you know, I hope he has it photographed and put on the mantelpiece at home. But people still have mantelpieces these days. I don't know houses, <laughs> but um, basically, Burnley had three defenders with two in front of them, and all five of them bought each feint every single time. It was like some sort of weird thriller dance routine, moving from side to side, and from the, to to like. Hoodwink, or as Norman said, centre to the shops as many defenders as that. It's quite something. There's not many players in the Premier League who could do that. And I suppose one of the problems is, as a fan at the minute, Norman alluded to Wilson there. Without Saint Max man and Wilson, you start to panic a little bit. But you know we can we can worry about that as and when, and hopefully never if it happens. I Thought Mark Douglas made a really good point today on um, on his Facebook page. Um, the fiver I got the fiver mark thanks it came in a post last night Um, (laughs) we can enjoy St Maximan because unlike a lot of his um, countrymen who came before him in the past 10 years every time a player had a good game they'd be on French TV or French radio or speaking to the newspaper or the or, or, or more probably realistically the agent would be and talking up a move talking up a Champions League club talking up fucking Arsenal um, we don't get that from him and that's credit to him and the people that represent him and I, I'm not just trying to dish out phony credit here but it does genuinely make it more invo- uh, enjoyable and I totally agree with Mark that this summer um, probably in normal circumstances would have seen you know constant speculation quotes from the player quotes from the player's family his agent and you know, it, it it makes it less enjoyable. But the fact is, we can enjoy him for being a Newcastle United player because none of that's there. You're not kind of thinking he's doing this to move on. He's doing this because we're a stepping stone club, and and that might well come because if a top club comes in from, you almost don't begr- begrudge him or any player the opportunity to move away from Steve Bruce and Mike Ashley's Newcastle United. So it's great. So I love him. I thought he was fantastic last night. There is an over reliance on him. That's what happens when really really good players come into your side and for all the uh all the credit that has been taken out of steve nixon and the scouting department's bank account for for joe linton st max amount at like between 16 and 21 million pounds it's probably one of the bargains of the premier league in the in the past two seasons charlotte
4: yeah just two two points firstly if you said if a top club um comes from well where Wear one of those now, so he doesn't need to go anywhere. Um, and secondly, let just adjacent to your point of of him really being a Newcastle player, you could see that. I mean, you know, Steve. I'm sure we'll get onto Steve Bruce and and his comments this week and after the game and all of that stuff. But um, that's who he went to when he scored his first goal. He went ASM went straight over to the dugout. You know, to Steve Bruce and to the other. Uh, f- five or six thousand Steves that are in there. Um and, uh, and and you can tell he's ears ears playing for Newcastle. He's not it doesn't like like you say it doesn't seem like he's just sort of his eyes his eyes elsewhere.
2: Yeah I mean this is turn at the Alan San Maxman show which is great <laughs> um but I did want to make a couple more quick points. The argument about having to end product okay there might be some validity in it. Uh, it's a he's a young player learning he's trade to a certain extent but ultimately if you've got nothing to get on the end of your product, then you probably do. It probably does look like you're not doing great work when you're putting the ball in the box and there's no one there. Um, but to a certain extent, I don't think that's his fault. And I think, as I say, with Wilson up top, if Wilson stays fit, then this argument about Max Mann not having or having to improve his end product, it's going to come naturally just by the fact that he's got a centre foot to put the ball into. And also, you know, against Brighton, he did have a poor game, as did the rest of the team. And against Brighton, he came up against an outstanding player in Lamptey, and that's just going to happen sometimes.
1: Yes, particularly when that outstanding player also injures you for three weeks, um, which is what happened. And I think people kind of equate, you know, it's always that accusation. That ever since Albert Luque uh, kind of wandered off against Fulham a few years ago, and everyone said he was uh, he faked an injury and he was out for like eight months with like a really serious injury. People always equate that when the things are going against you, if a player goes off, like, oh, don't fancy it. When actually he probably was injured and it was a bad tackle against him. Um, to, from from the absolute highs of of Alan St. Maxman, let's talk about the other end of the spectrum in terms of value for money or not potentially. <laughs> um, Chris, you, you wanted to uh, you know analyze Joe Linton's contribution played in a, uh, a different position last night for the first time this season.
3: Yeah, I did. Um, and tin hat on at this point. Um, I think any, anything that we say about Joe Linton in, in a positive capacity has to be contextualized within the fact that. He's not really of the required standard, I think, and definitely isn't worth the 40 million that we paid for him, which, you know, week on week looks increasingly farcical. Um, I think watching his performance midweek against Newport and he missed that penalty, didn't play very well. And I was worried here that his confidence, if it was possible, would regress even further. But, you know, again, tin hat on within the context of his admittedly limited ability. I thought he did have a fairly decent game here. Um, he did play in a deeper position. I think it's fair to say that we don't know what his actual position is if he does actually have one. I saw on Twitter people talking about him being converted into a box-to-box midfielder. Not quite sure about that, you know. But I thought he, he did seem um, he did seem better. I think it's really noticeable w- that with Wilson as the focal point, and clearly Wilson is a far better centre forward than Jolinton will ever be. The pressure is off Jolinton. I think that kind of helped him. Um, as to how he how he played, I think for him, he he held the ball up fairly well, he did pull defenders around from that deeper position, he did open up space for the teammates uh, and then I think I counted three or four pretty decent balls that he, he put through four other players um, so yeah, I thought his performance generally for him was pretty good, something that I didn't expect was a couple of times that he did move into the box yeah, fair enough, the ball get, did get caught under his feet, his reactions weren't very good but he is slowly kind of listening as to you know whether he is good enough for this level. Still not sure. Um, I think that the main worry for me um, is that yesterday that he was keeping Almiron out the team, who I think naturally we would we would all think we would want him as our kind of starting player in that position. Um, and I think you know, if if I'm being kind, I can possibly see what Bruce was trying to do um, going for John Linton's physicality against Burnley. Um, it kind of, I think it kind of lucked out because ASM and Wilson had such good games. Um, but yeah, I thought he, he played better, um, albeit within kind of the very limited context that he has. I agree, and I think I saw a stat
1: on Twitter. Haven't verified it, but that he had more touches last night uh, in any game than he's had so far as cast a player in the Premier League, anyway. So he was he was far more involved. He was, you know, that. that box to box comment. I hadn't seen it, but wow. <laughs> um that's quite something Joe Linton turned into like part <laughs> in crime. Yeah. Um but uh yeah he, he certainly was around the pitch. He was more mobile and he was he was willing to do a bit more running. It it's weird, isn't it, how he's almost played in this number ten role. Whereas your typical number ten isn't a six foot two, you know, quite muscular centre forward. But you know I agree with you, Chris. It was better. It was better. And and it's almost like when we have the conversations about Jolinton, it's quite probably unfair on him that the word 40 million or the words 40 million are are always in the conversation. And, you know, that's not his doing. But then again, it did, you know, it's Newcastle United and we spend 40 million pound on a player that that quite incredibly um, the previous manager didn't really want. And then the owner did and it's turned out like it has. So that all kind of gets bundled into any analysis of him, and it's probably not fair on him. That said, I'm front of the queue saying he's been absolutely dreadful in the majority of games he's played for Newcastle. So to be more positive about him last night, it's it felt like he understood what his role was to me, and that that was better. Norman, you had your hand up first.
2: I think the performance we got from him last night you know, there are positive aspects of it. He did a lot of the dirty work, closing out space, running off the ball. And obviously a lot of that is to do with the fact that he's up top, but he's not the main striker. And we know that he can't play as a main striker. And whilst he's on the pitch as the main striker, it's almost all the focus is on him. He's not getting the, he's not getting the position. He's not creating any chances. He's not looking like he even knows how to score, wants to score, knows how to play the role of centre-forward. But he's in the squad... He's going to be played, you know, he played in in every single league game last season. I think he's played in every single league game this season, whether that's coming off the bench or starting. And the likelihood is, as long as he's fit, that's going to be the pattern. So he's here and he's going to keep playing. And I think as long as Wilson stays fit and as long as when Joe Linton's in the side, Wilson's in the side, the mere fact that Wilson's the focal point of centre forward, it relieves the focus. It takes the focus away from Joe Linton. And that'll allow him, I think, and I hope, to kind of slowly build up confidence, regardless of the fact that he might not be scoring, just the fact that his performance is almost taken out of the game if Wilson's up top and scoring goals, and, and it kind of allows him to to make mistakes or to not do what you know you'd like to think he should be doing, but at the same time to to do to kind of do other things that that are you know like necessarily did a lot of necessary work last night, and and you know you might think well actually if he plays up top Wilson. He gets like six or seven goals a season. I know that sounds like a lot um based on last season, but but if he does that then then who knows it might it might actually have a, a kind of long term benefit. And um and also you'd like to think that Wilson, given all of his experience as a player in the Premier League, Joe Linton's capable of learning from him as well.
4: Yeah, I, I just wanted to add to um to that, just to say like he deserves some credit, surely. Um because, you know, he's been relentlessly criticized in, in like media and on social media. And I, I don't think he would have been able to avoid that entirely. Like, you know, even if you're not looking, like your, your friends, your family, it, it, he will be aware that almost every think piece about him has, as Alex says, that 40 million quid. Like, how is he worth this? How is he? And he's still sort of like, you know, uh, he, sometimes he doesn't really show it, but like, he's still trying I mean I've got to, I've got to give him some credit for that I your confidence would my confidence would be absolutely out the window in in that circumstance so um to sort of see him come on last night and I and I think he will um Norman I think you're alluding to this or um you know I think he will um benefit from that sort of Callum Wilson coming in and and um and being a much more clinical finisher and I think he'll learn from that and, and slot in a, a bit better. Yesterday was encouraging. I'm I'm not gonna run away with it and say that he's like it's it's the it's the like redemption story of the decade. But <laughs> um I think he I think that there's that there's some really positive stuff to take away from from his performance yesterday. And Alex, you said he knows his role. It's kind of a question for you, and maybe it's um maybe it's also, getting a bit excited, but if if he looks like he, he knew his role yesterday, how much of that is the manager? How much do you think Steve Bruce has sort of nurtured that in him, or do you think it's do you think it's more like um, that he's just sort of slotting into where he can because we've actually got a proper centre forward now?
1: Um, I'm not laughing at your question; it's a great question. I'm just laughing at the suggestion that playing a player in in something approaching the right position <laughs> is nurturing them. He do, he does nurture him because he he. To Bruce's credit, he doesn't have to do this. He has decided that publicly, he is he is gonna, you know, he dies for the players. He will defend Jalinton, uh even after that Blackburn game when he was like, I mean, he was played up front again by himself, but he was dire, really dire. And and Bruce just came up and said, "Yeah, he had a bad night. You need to do better." I am sure he will. And that that you know, Bruce deserves credit for that. And um, I think I think your point or your question is a, a good one because it wasn't just Joe Litton. It was the fact that we had almost across the park players playing the correct positions. So we're back to two actual centre-backs.
4: So funny that that's Play- novel, isn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> playing centre-back, unlike last week, we were back to, you know, Kraft is a is a right-footed right-back. He's not a right-wing back. He's not a centre-back, even though he had to fill in there later and did fine. Um, you know, Kraft probably has be- his best game for Newcastle. Surprise, surprise, playing as a right-back. Um, you know, Jeff Henrik, the less said the better for now. And I think we might talk about them later when Norman talks about John Joe, but you know, it's it's quite clear, I think, and I think someone um on, on on Twitter got in touch with us and said, you know, you know, I think it was uh Tones, Tony who said um Shaw coming in and Hayden back into the middle. I, I totally agree with you, Tony, that clearly balanced and stabilised the side and that slight change in um approach, which' are different Tony is thats what I talk about. it was clear because we started that game really well, and how many games have we played this season or, or last season, in fact, where we start badly, um we started well, everyone knew their plan, everyone knew their role, and we actually pressed Burnley a little bit, and that's just you know like, wow, <laughs> talk about things we haven't done is try and pressure the opposition when in possession to either pressure them to make a mistake, play it long. Or win the ball back in little things. like It's just so much more enjoyable to watch, isn't it? So, yeah, good question, Charlotte. And I think, I think Bruce, still, you know, I think everyone has been screaming for it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are very critical of Steve Bruce when he gets it wrong. And I think he's got it wrong a lot so far. But you have to say, last night, you got it right. Formation was right. Team selection was proved to be spot on. Um, substitutions were okay. And you know what? It was a good win against a bad team but we said the same against West Ham and West Ham have been pretty good since and at the time of recording find themselves 2-0 up half time at Leicester so they aren't you know everyone said after we beat West Ham um West Ham they're getting relegated they're 100% getting relegated what well, if they win this they'll be up to up to eighth and they played really well at Arsenal and you know the same thing you know Burnley every time we play Burnley everyone talks about how bad they are and I've done that only lost two of the last 16 league games I think at the end of last season and yeah they might have a a difficult season this season but there is a little bit kind of that all right we only beat the shit teams and all that kind of stuff well time will tell yesterday was a really good win it wasn't perfect from start to finish but what you know what team particularly Newcastle United are ever perfect from start to finish and uh, and credit where it's due Chris.
3: Yeah I think um, just a wrap and finish on Jalinton there, I think what Charlotte says about it not exactly being the redemption story of the decade is completely right. I can't exactly see any Hollywood studios knocking down Steve Bruce's door to option Jalinton's story for a big blockbuster picture anytime soon. But I think what he did do yesterday, and hopefully we can see a little bit more of, is, okay, he's never going to be good enough to lead the line and definitely not as good as Callum Wilson. However, I think what he could do is play himself into the position, and this is damning with faint praise, isn't it, playing himself into the position of being an option elsewhere around the pitch. And in that deeper role, he seems to be um, better. I think what I would say, uh, and this is pretty damning, isn't it, that even a kind of a Gillington playing like this, I would rather see him in the starting 11 anywhere than Andy Carroll. Oh, who, who would Andy. you
2: rather as a box box midfielder, Carol or Julian? <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be fair, Carol spends most of his time in between the two boxes, yeah. doesn't he? Just box, more new position, wag- box. Yeah, <laughs> just stays on um, the box. Yeah, um, right, Charlotte. We'll just mention Steve Bruce there. The B word. The B the word. Man, Steve, Steve Bruce, who has who has dominated conversation ever since the takeover collapse really it's dominated the conversation amongst Newcastle fans has been Steve Bruce's performance and much of what he says which frustrates a great deal of fans myself included what do you want to say Charlotte
4: yeah I i was actually quite keen to talk about Steve Bruce's comments in the run-up to this game and um and his press conference on Friday I think it was um because he was very upset. He was very upset, Steve Bruce. And, and you know, I'm guilty of, you know, the pylon, I think. I'm guilty of being part of the pylon. I did not um, instigate it, I don't think. But uh, but he was very upset about the comments about him being lucky. Um, and, you know, after Spurs, I think, or after, it was after Newport, actually, I, I tweeted that, he, I, like Ben said last week, I'd love to know what he thinks the lottery numbers are going to be because he's clearly the luckiest person in the world. Um well, he's come out and specifically said that he finds that insulting, um, that he uh, he keeps trying to improve us, that he keeps trying to move us from this back five to a back four and um, X, Y, and Z, and, and, and that, you know, all of a sudden we have to think that we're Liverpool, which... I don't think I've ever seen anyone say like I, I've, I've not seen any person on social media or in my life say why isn't Steve Bruce getting us to be like Liverpool now um yeah he's very upset about it I, I think Alex you said it already but you've got to give him credit where he's due credit yesterday's performance was better and he lined up right etc cetera, etc cetera. you've already said it but I, I don't think it's that unfair what's been leveled at him so far like it, it it might be um it might not be nice to hear for him, which I can appreciate and but I think that is part and parcel of his role like you're the manager of a club, and I think it's our job to scrutinize the way that we play um yesterday was really really encouraging to me um I would, um, love to see that momentum go. Well, obviously there's, we we lose that momentum immediately because it's an international break, but I'd love to see, um, them, our squad in, in training over the next couple of weeks, like really, um, taking forward what we, what we built, building on what we, what we had yesterday. Um, and, and if they don't and we come to Man U and it's, and it's just back to this sort of not really understanding where anyone's supposed to be playing or like all of that stuff, then, then it does feel like luck. It does feel like more fluky. And I think as fans, like that is, that is part of our role to continue to look at the way that he is setting up and all of that stuff and, and to, and to feed back on it. And sometimes it's probably not that nice, but, um, but yes, I, 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 he's, 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 proved his point yesterday and I hope you know as a fan I hope he continues to do so but um yeah I just wanted to sort of point out that uh I don't know that that uh, he said that we were stylish against Morecambe I I don't think that I don't think you can say that anyway um Alex your hand is up so
1: yes it is and I know Norman wants to talk about this so Norman just comes straight in after me mate but Couple of things, uh, really good point, Charlotte. I'd love to uh, just you know. Steve Bruce says he finds the accusation that he's been lucky insulting. I've got a few words that I think would hands down win the argument, Steve, and those words are Rochdale, Oxford, West Brom, and <laughs> Newport. Never has a manager <laughs> got runs to quarterfinals, and hey, get me, you know, get me that. I love it. It's great. I want to be in the quarterfinals. Well done for just about beating those teams. And just
4: about
1: that's, that's lucky that, that that's lucky not your fault steve better be to be lucky than unlucky i think the issue charlotte with what he says it, there's two really like standout things for me which when i read these things or listen to these things i come away from thinking number one what criticism are you upset about there's no one in the fucking ground mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so so who who's uh, i mean are you s- scrolling twitter I think they he want... must
4: be, or somebody must be for like for like sending screenshots. You'd be express... like, oh, it's like your worst, yeah, like your worst friend being like, e look what people are saying about you." Like, I don't want
1: that. But then I think that's really disingenuous because if you, they don't, they don't engage with supporters in castle They think they do, but they don't. In my opinion, happily really talk about it, but they don't. So it's not like he comes on this show or any other podcast and. Can put his argument across in a coherent, a coherent way that you know has a little bit more detail because all we can judge Steve Bruce on, and I know this is probably unfair in the mind of Steve Bruce, is what he produces. So the criticism comes from what we see. It's not born out of some misunderstanding. It's not born out of this kind of "oh, we don't know what you're trying to do." We're actually judging you on what you are doing. So, so this kind of like you know, will be me? Isn't life unfair? Thing that's going on. I just don't understand it from that perspective. The other the other point is that what he says often isn't isn't a reflection on reality. So for example, um you know he says that he inherited a team that um you know could only play a certain way and he's trying to change it. Well we only played that way from December to April pretty much of the last few 5 months of Rafa Benitez's reign here. So for the vast majority of time before that the lads played in the back four. In addition if that if that five months was so ingrained in the side, then you've been here a year and you've had three transfer windows. What's he signed? Twelve players, thirteen players, mm-hmm. handed out seven new contracts?
4: We <laughs> like, Yeah, I think we talked about that. Sorry to butt in to you. Like it, a lot of these players aren't the old players. They're not conditioned to play the old way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they never were because it was it was such a short period of time. You know, so it's and why I get it, right? I, I I believe Steve Bruce, I believe him, and I'm pleased that he wants to get us to play a more attacking brand of football, to score more goals, to take more shots. Great, I back it. Do it. Please do it, Steve. The issue is then how come we've got defensively worse? How come we have less shots? <laughs> how can we play more long balls? How come we can go to Spurs and go to Man City and play Liverpool and, and, and play these teams? and then you just see a return to the previous formation, but almost worse in every department. So... I don't think any of that criticism is unfair. The great thing for Steve Bruce, the beautiful thing for Steve Bruce is he's the manager, not me, not you Charlotte, not you Norman, not you people listening. He is the manager, he is the one who can affect these things in a way which we can't. So I wish he'd just shut up about these things. I wish he'd bring people together and you know, he did what he had to do last last night. Let's be clear, let's give credit where it's due. That was a big game for him in this football club and he won it convincingly and I'm pleased he did. He deserves credit for that. But as a fan, I wish he would spend less time worrying about the analysis of the job he's doing and just get on with the job. Because whatever he says, um, it won't take away from the analysis of what he actually produces. That's what's important. It's important for the players and it's important for him. I feel like he does himself a lot of damage. And I would love to know who is analysing working with them at the football club before these press conferences and saying, you know what? You know what we need before this game? It's a bit of a rallying cry. It's a bit of a roll in this together. It's a bit of it hasn't been good enough, but we're really keen to put amends to that and, w- and we're going to do that rather than incessant whining about opinions. And I just don't understand it. And, and it's something that you don't really see from other managers at this level, Norman.
2: I absolutely... Reiterating what you're saying, really. So, I'm sorry if this sounds like repetition, but mine's more of a focus on the post match comments. Now, we've just outplayed Burnley, put in a really convincing performance. Everyone's happy, good goals. Bruce has answered any kind of doubt as to a certain extent. You know, yes, it's only one game, but ultimately we're on seven points from a maximum of 12. You know, you you, you can't look at that as being anything other than on paper good. So, rather than just kind of walk away. Bruce rather than just walk away and you know, kind of do his talking by producing results, which is what last night was, right? After the match, he said, Tonight we have quietened a few for a while anyway. We have tried to be more expansive, it goes up and down so quickly. That's Newcastle. Like i read that. So the high you've won in a game, on, on immediately reading that, it, it just kind of takes away a bit of the gloss because you're thinking, Why? Why do you need to do that? You're the manager of this football club. Fans will undoubtedly express their frustration you know that there's none of them in the stadium expressing their frustration as you've already mentioned so whatever it is that you're picking on at the moment it is through kind of second-hand news that people are giving you or what what journalists are challenging you on let's say and then to come out and say that you know we've quite a few down for a few for a while anyway it's it's kind of almost like a, a kind of told you so by a child and it's really annoying um and it's unnecessary and i think he would garner more respect, and he would endear himself more to the fans if he didn't come out with these preposterous statements after match to kind of to show that he was he was wound up, or he's in a huff, or he's annoyed with people. Um And obviously, we've seen the deterioration in relationships with fans at Aston Villa and Sunderland, where you know once once the fans' relationship with him started becoming a, a kind of personal bugbear, everything went south quite quickly. And I, I, you know, we don't. Who wants that to happen? You know, we want to see a successful football club, and and I think as well the last part of the sentence that's Newcastle for me that's that is that is buying into the, the narrative constructed around Newcastle United fans that were unrealistic hyperbolic drama queens and that we expect something that we should never expect and he as a manager of the club by saying that is actually reinforcing that myth how is that going to end yet to any fans it's not is it I do,
3: I do wonder if in some kind of parallel universe where we went in this pandemic and we were all able to go to the matches and would have been since March I do wonder if he would be resorting to this kind of sniping behaviour. What what Alex was saying a minute ago about, you know, why is he not kind of focusing on rallying cries and unifying people? I wonder if if the ground was full. We've all been there when it's been, you know, pretty bad atmosphere, you know, potential to turn toxic. Um, and I do wonder if putting in some of these performances that they had put in since March, there might have very realistically been the risk that the crowd might have turned i wonder if if the crowd was there would he be more likely to kind of be you know trying to unify together is it is this a to a degree a symptom of not having to worry about keeping the fans in the ground on side he can gloss over that and fixate on something as a sideshow
4: i don't know about that i i I feel like I feel like he's quite a defensive man from the comments that he's made. So if if the crowd was in the ground and if it did turn against him a little bit, then I feel like he would go he would sort of go on the a very defensive sort of I think it would be similar. My um my point that I was going to make just about his comments after the match, because I really want us to be like, you know, not, not I want us, I want some fairness and, and, and we won yesterday and we're six and, and, and he does, it does deserve some credit for, for some of those points anyway. Um, but the, the comments that Norman, that you've, you've talked about there, I, I felt like I felt rather than being like, God, how petty or whatever. I felt more like oh what a shame because your squad's just put in a really great performance and um and you're sort of um framing it in this like well we've shut some people up now way instead of being like weren't they bloody brilliant i've worked really hard with them and i'm really proud mm-hmm. like that i feel like that would i don't know that that felt like a missed opportunity to me for him to have um sort of sing the praises of, of his squad really, who I think did, you know, Burnley aren't a good side, but we worked really hard yesterday and and they do it for him. So, I don't know. That felt like a shame to me.
3: Chris, you wanted to say something else? Uh, yeah, just on the kind of praise element, understandably the kind of forwards have, have gotten the lion's share of praise, both from fans and also from Steve Bruce. Um, just if we're talking about praise where praise is due from the manager, I think, Particularly Fernandez, but the defense, which was a patchwork defense yesterday, as we saw with share going off, and you know obviously we don't have a lot of center backs at the moment, but you know I, I thought they did really really well, and to cope with a player like Chris Wood, who has previous for scoring against us, Burnley are not a good side, but they do offer a threat. So yeah, if he's going to give some give some praise, I think it would be nice to give a bit more um, of a positive review of the defense as well.
1: Definitely, in and, and good points made, and, and Charlotte, I think I think you've hit them in on the head there. That, you know what what Norman is saying, I agree with that. But you know why, why take away a little bit from, from what was a really positive night for the vast majority, if not only, Cast United supporters, and uh, Norman, just to make you feel a little bit more depressed. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been in the same room as as Steve Bruce's bosses when they also talk about the kind of well that's Newcastle that's what it's like here only at this football club type thing they all buy into that which is really shit but never mind that uh Norman you wanted to talk a little bit more about just just how well the team did and Steve Bruce did I suppose in in stopping Burnley what Burnley do so well against a lot of teams and have done so well against us in the past
2: I completely positive um Bruce got it right. Bruce and his coaching staff got it right. They stopped Burnley doing what Burnley do, um, and that is whipping crosses in. Adam mentioned it on the preview podcast for parents about how many crosses are put in against Southampton. So you look at the individuals in that side, the, the people who predominantly cross the ball for them, it's McNeil, Taylor and Bardsley. Against Southampton, McNeil put in 13 crosses, Taylor put in six and Bardsley put in six. So what's that, 25 um that had gone down. So McNeil went down from thirteen to five against us. Taylor down to four and Bardsley down to three. I mean that's that's over over fifty percent of them. Uh, the, the, sorry, hundred percent, isn't it? Wait there, I my mean, maths is bad. Half, <laughs> half, less than half. Um, but uh that that was that was a ploy, you know, that that was a ploy, and most of Bur- most of Burnley's decent spell of play last night actually came through Westwood in the middle, and Westwood were okay, keys a He's a bit of a labouring midfielder. He did well okay last night. He scored a goal. But but ultimately, if most of your attacking players coming through Westwood, then the opposition probably doesn't have that much to fear. Um, I think when we saw the lineups, Hendrik again and Hendrik again on the right was a was a, a surprise and, and one that I definitely didn't didn't enjoy. And you know, we saw, I suppose early on, Hendrik did keep drifting inside because he's naturally a centre midfielder. However, what putting him on that side did was it, it enabled somebody there to do a, to do the graft, to close the space down, and to kind of almost stop McNeil and Taylor finding those gaps to to get to the byline and with crosses in, and it, and it worked very successfully. Um, and the other thing, the other fear was that when Burnley did get the ball in the box, it would be difficult because Darlow isn't a, a brilliant goalkeeper when it comes to coming out and claiming the ball, but Darlow won seven from seven of his aerial battles yesterday, which is, which is excellent um and even in the second half when burnley had that bright spell and bardsley was starting to get in the game mad isn't it bardsley starting to get in the game a 35 year old journeyman fullback um but he was starting to get in the game and obviously at that point sam maximan isn't necessarily helping defensively so bruce switched switched it temporarily negated the threat of bardsley we broke and then obviously got a second goal through where maximan being on the on the right hand side up against up against taylor who um who was trying to get get forward and as we say, Maximan sent him to the shop. So, hundred um, percent, there was a there was a definite game plan there to stop Burnley creating anything worthwhile, and, and it worked. And that you have to see a fair player, excellent.
3: Chris, I think the other thing, what Norman says, is all completely correct, and I, I totally agree with. The other thing that I think was seemed to be a noticeable tactic, and I guess it was reflective of the conditions as well. But every time the ball went anywhere near Nick Pope, um, you know. Wilson in particular but you know a lot of pressure on him and we nearly profited a couple of times from that and then obviously got the penalty um you know later on through through Fraser so that that did seem a bit of a concerted tactic to whenever Pope had the ball coming into his feet it's clearly not what he's confident at and that's the where the questions are about him being in the England squad um it did seem a tactic there so bang on again. Yeah, I mean, on on Darlow quickly,
1: Mark Corby, um, true faith regular, called it off air, well, he's not on air, definitely off air before the show. Um, Carl Darlow is going through Steve Harper syndrome, that he'll rarely play for Newcastle, he'll come in and do okay, and then for some mental reason, uh, loads of people will call from him to be in the England squad, when he's not even the first choice keeper at Newcastle. Um, I'm really pleased Darlow's doing really well, I didn't doubt him as much as a lot of people did, I think, but... uh, He's, you know, he isn't Newcastle's best goalkeeper, and hopefully <laughs> Martin Dubravka will be back soon. Norman,
2: I just wanted to um, Chris mentioned uh, Nick Pope. Then I just want to thank him. It was fantastic his display yesterday. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think the Pope John Paul II was an actual goalkeeper back in Poland during his younger days. And I he think was, yeah. even though he's no longer wow. with us, you know, he's in heaven. Um, I think he would have been more effective in the sixth <laughs> yesterday than the Nick Pope. So uh, the dead Pope John Paul would have been more effective than Nick Pope yesterday. So thanks for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you wanted to talk uh, about John, Joe Shelby Norman?
2: Oh yes, I did. Didn't I? Him, um, so, uh, <laughs> she- Shelby. I uh, sorry, I just had visions of John Pauling goal for um for Burnley, and it was it was spectacular. But um, Joe Shelby yesterday, that was the the game that we get from him. When post match, everyone's like, "Oh, that just on Shelby's importance to say he was excellent. He was excellent. This was you know that that performance, that sort of one in five, one in six performance we get. The, the opposition were ideal for him that didn't push him back, so he had that kind of space to work in, and and it paid off. Shelby was excellent. um Newcastle completed just over 300 successful passes, and he completed on his own 20% of them. um 61 successful passes, the top NUFC player on the pitch doing that. He had more touches than any other Newcastle player, and he was he was great. And as I say, when, when Shelby has a good game, it tends to mean that Newcastle does all right, and yesterday was the kind of perfect highlight of that. He, um, he was he was excellent, and obviously I think he was also provided with really good kind of running um, by Hayden. And I thought I thought Hayden was Hayden was good as well yesterday. Complete just completely stifled Burnley, and as I say, freed up the space to allow Shelby to, to do what Shelby does best.
1: Lovely stuff. I totally agree, and you know, a good day all round. One slight. You know, I wouldn't call it a negative, but, you know, Jeff Hendrick on the right, I'm still not true of it myself. Uh, I think we'll be far more balanced and far more attacking. But, you know, he does a lot of the dirty work. He's full of running, he's full of energy, he, he gets a lot of tackles in. Uh, and he did score a really good goal against West Ham. So we still got that in the bank for now. Um, but yeah, I think that just about does it this week um, for the True Faith podcast. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Charlotte, you have a special announcement for the listeners.
4: I do. Um, I am up for election to the Newcastle United Supporters Trust Board this uh, year. Um, It was announced last night. If you go to um, nufctrust.co.uk, my statement is up there for you to read. I am on Twitter at Charlotte Hope if you want to ask me any questions or engage with me there in any way. I'm very nervous, but I'm very excited about the opportunity. Everybody else on the ballot is, um, I either sort of know of or have read their statements and I'm very impressed. So it's, it's stiff competition and any one of those people would be, I'm sure, brilliant on the board, but I want it to be me. So I would be really grateful if you considered supporting me in the upcoming election.
1: Well said, we're going to have a kind of hustings podcast for everyone this week, hopefully, uh, on True Faith. Um, if you're not a member of the trust, would would love to have you. It's only £2 a join in a year, a pound per year after that, uh, 14,000 members and counting. So come on, get involved, and you can also pick five uh, people from the 11 that are up for election um, to join us on the board. And that's it. Thank you very much for listening. You know it by now, but we are on Patreon, and we do about five extra Newcastle United podcasts per week um, for less than two quid a week. And all the money goes into making shows like this and using uh, equipment that we use for the shows. New fans, you know it as well, but you know that already because you probably heard it last week. Would love it if you bought that. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Norman. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks, listener. Speak to you all soon.